going to invite Joanna Jansma, who is one of our missionaries that we support as a church, to go ahead and come forward and share with us a little bit about some updates in her life and ministry. We're privileged to have you here with us today, and we wanted to have the opportunity to kind of showcase you and pray for you. So Joanna, um, I'm just going to give you this microphone and just kind of give us a little bit of an update about what's happening in your world and what's going on, and then we'll spend a few moments praying for you too. Okay, thank you. I just wanted to take a few minutes just to thank you in person for the prayers and the sacrifices you guys make in giving and uh, just the encouragement you are to the work going down on there with the Nagi people in Papua. And the um, Lord continues to work in his, their lives through his Holy Spirit and just as we continue to get the word in their language. Another quick Prayer, uh, answer to prayer was just you guys have been praying for um, answers to medical things I came back to look into. And praise the Lord, this week, um, just heard back from the doctors, everything's clear, and I can go back to Indonesia. So that was just another. Amen. Very good. And we just br ch uh, chatted briefly in the back right before the service, but you go back to some pretty exciting things. I know that before you get to Indonesia, you're going to be traveling back to Idaho and visiting maybe some churches there. But as you get back to Indonesia in January, what was one of the things that you're excited about witnessing when you get back there? Right. The first Nagi baptism is happening the 22nd of January. Yeah. So um, that's just really exciting, the excitement of interest that they've had too and. Um, they're already sharing their testimonies and asking to be um, baptized at that time. So you guys can be just praying for that. They're coming in from different villages, the believers, um, just to all gather together. I have like three days, I think, that we'll be doing that baptism. That is very exciting, Joanna. And, and, it, and, it, and it's a response to God's word being sown in their hearts, and they responded to it and now want to fully identify with Jesus through their baptism. And so that's a, that's a testimony to your work in Bible translation and discipleship and ministry. And so we're so excited that you're out there kind of on the front lines and really everywhere is the front lines as we live our life on purpose and on mission for King Jesus and his kingdom. So uh, Joanna, is there anything else that you want to share right now or should we just go right into praying for you? Okay, good, all right. If, if you'd feel comfortable, just go ahead and just extend your hand towards Joanna and, and I would just like to pray a blessing over her and uh, let's go ahead and join together in prayer now. God, we thank you for our dear sister here, um, for sustaining her to this moment where she can stand up here and, and give testimony to how you've worked in her life and her ministry and her body um, and how you're working even in the future as we anticipate these new believers uh, fully identifying with you in a, in a culture where um, it's probably not easy to fully identify with you. And so, God, we thank you for your word that is accomplishing all that it was sent out to do in her life and in the life of people that she touches and ministers to. God, we pray that you would empower her in the next couple days and as she travels to um, visit other churches that support her and then as she makes her way back on the other side of the world that you would go before her and you would bless her. God, I pray that she would just be fully encouraged and that you'd fulfill all of her purposes for your glory in her life and that you would do that work in and through her as she lives her life on purpose for you. So we thank you for our dear sister. God, empower her and encourage her as she goes about your business in this next ministry season as well. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Can we all applaud just not Joanna, but just the Lord's work? It's a privilege to have one of our missionaries here and um, just to hear a little bit about what God is doing. And really, that's what we see 
uh, kind of the mission statement for Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. You see it, he's like, I need to go to other towns to preach there as well. And we're going to look at that a little bit even here today. Um, but let's think about this phrase. Have you ever heard the phrase, what happens in Vegas, what? Oh my goodness, you guys know the phrase, right? Um, I've never, never been to Las Vegas, um, so I'm speaking a little bit from ignorance. But from what I've gathered from hearing the broader cultural use of this phrase is that sometimes people make bad decisions or maybe a whole string of them in Vegas. And instead of them bringing those repercussions back and those decisions back home with them, they kind of vainly attempt to somehow leave it all behind and attempt to erase or silence the inner turmoil of their conscience by saying, let's just leave that there, you know, and no one has to know, right? Um, hopefully, I don't need to work very hard to convince you that that doesn't really work. Um, that's a really bad way to live your life, um, with a, living with a seared conscience is not good for you. I thought about this this last week. Living with a seared conscience is like trying to eat with a canker sore in your mouth. You can do it, but it's going to cause a lot of pain, all right? So anyway, the reason I bring this phrase up is because I want to plead for you to embrace the opposite today. Um, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I'm going to ask you to plead to, uh, to embrace the opposite. Um, but I don't want to talk about Vegas. I want to talk about this gathering. I want to talk about this gathering and what happens in this gathering is not meant to stay in this gathering. You know, we know the church is not, a dis- not just a building, right? Despite what we've learned, like the little nursery, right? Remember, like, here's the church. Let's see if I can do it. You guys remember this one? Here's the church. What's this? The steeple. And you open the door, and what's that? You just butchered the New Testament theology on what the church is. That's what you just did, right? This this is the church, right? These guys, not the building, not the door, not the steeple. You don't need those things to be the church, right? So I want you to embrace the opposite today. I want to plead for you to embrace the opposite That the church is not just a building, it's a gathering of called out ones, and we just so happen to gather in a building and that the broader culture calls a church. But what happens in this church gathering should not just stay in this church gathering. Like show up here week after week and look like we have it all together. It shouldn't just, that's not, that should not be the case. All right? What happens here needs to be brought into our homes and into the broader society as well. May we never be content with just seeing and seeking out an amazing experience of God's displayed power while we are here. May we always want to see the reign of God play out in our homes as well. And that's exactly what we see taking place in our passage today. So let's look at Mark chapter 1. We're steadily making our way through the chapter. We're going to be here this week and next week, and then we'll be done with chapter 1. But follow along with the words on the screen or follow along in a copy of the scriptures that you have in front of you here. And we're going to start in verse 29, reading through verse 39. It says this, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand, and he lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. 
That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would add your blessing to those who read and hear and seek to apply this word here today. God, we see amazing things every time we crack open the spine of this book, and I pray that today in these verses we'll be able to see once again your heartbeat and just being amazed by who you are and what you are offering us in our private lives as well as when we're gathered in this gathering. And God, I pray that you would be blessed by the attentive listening of your children here now, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this passage is really an extension of the passage that we looked at over the last several weeks. We've been here for a while now, and the way Mark presents this is just like really one long extended day. Have you ever had like a long day? (laughs) Have you ever wanted your day just to end? Have you ever felt like there's just so much pressure on you at work, and then you feel like there's even more pressure on you when you come home to your family late into the night, and then maybe even early on into the next morning. Many of us probably know that feeling, know that pressure, know what it's like to have a long day. I just want to assure you, that's what the text demonstrates for us today. Jesus knows that feeling as well. Jesus knows that feeling as well. If you read Mark 1 and you just read chapter 1, it's like, oh my goodness, this guy's got pressure And the demands for our days can sometimes be so long and sometimes, especially this time of year, right? When the days really seem long and even though these late fall and early winter days are light deficient, we can just feel like, man, there's so much to do in a day. And I think this is especially our case as we head into this darker season here in the Pacific Northwest. You know, sometimes 4 p.m. rolls around and I think to myself, can I go to bed yet? You know, anybody with me? Or you're like, oh, wait, I got to pick my kids up from school, right? (laughs) I should do that or feed them, right? Um, But it's a season of darkness and it's hard. And honestly, our moods can be affected by the lack of light. And people in the broader culture refer to it as like seasonal effectiveness disorder. That's a real thing. And it actually reminds us that every form of suffering is not just because of a specific sin issue. Instead, this is a good example of how a physical problem can impact our moods. We're embodied souls, and there's an intersection where the physical and the spiritual issues meet. And sometimes we just struggle with seasons of sadness or suffering or depression, and it isn't attached to any one known sin in our lives. In fact, this time um, or this type of suffering and sadness is exactly what Jesus addresses here today in our passage Simon's mother-in-law was lying ill with a fever because she, well, not because she had sinned, right? But she just laid ill with a fever because she lived in a world that was suffering from the after effects of the first sin. 
And so Simon's mother-in-law, and really all of, our, all of us live in a world that has viruses and illnesses and diseases that will impact our lives, and our lives will be impacted by those realities, even if our encountering them is not directly attached to some personal outright rebellion in us. And so once again, I think we're all called to do this. We say, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. And this season is, is one of those seasons that we want to do that. But to get back on track with the narrative, Mark shows us that this is one very long, very action-packed, busy day of Jesus that started in a synagogue and then it ends in a private home. And Jesus brought what happened in the synagogue into a private home of one of his closest companions. What happened in the synagogue didn't stay in the synagogue so if you're here last week or if you listened online, um, you'll remember that the people in the synagogue that day heard a demon testify that it felt threatened by Jesus interfering with its dominion and expressed concern about potentially being destroyed by Jesus. It was kind of like a one, one Sabbath not to miss synagogue, right? It was amazing. Then they heard Jesus, the God-man, command with kingly authority for the demon to come out, and then all those gathered saw the response of obedience of that demon. And when the demon obeyed, the results of that obedience led to a man experiencing freedom from oppression to the absolute amazement of everyone that was there. The people's minds were blown in the synagogue that day. But Jesus wants to take his mind-blowing power and bring it up close and personal, and he shows up on the doorstep of his friend's home, and he walks in with it. Look what the text says. And immediately he left the synagogue, where he had just blown people's minds. He immediately leaves there, and he enters into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with the fever, and immediately they told him about her. Jesus doesn't just kind of kick back and watch football like I do on these Sundays, right? He immediately leaves the synagogue. And once again, you're going to see that word immediately appear 40 times in the Gospel of Mark. It's just action-packed. Mark uses this word to transition and show that Jesus, in haste, leaves the gathering where he blew people's minds with his powerful teaching. But there's no time for gloating, no time for basking in public praise. There was more to be done in a private setting. He's not just concerned with keeping up a good personal public persona and popularity. He wants his ministry to be compassionate and private as well. In his mind, he thinks like, what good is it if I can be on a pedestal and praise from a distance if I can't actually take people by the hand and privately minister to them? And so he immediately leaves the synagogue and our God is amazing. Jesus immediately left the synagogue and he enters into the house of an individual he cared for in order to bring about a healing there. And so I thought about this this last week. Mark doesn't have a traditional Christmas story in it, but this passage really is kind of like Mark's version of the Christmas narrative. We really see the essence of the incarnation in this passage. God was not content to minister to a bunch of people from a distance. He took on flesh and dwelt among them. 
Here we see Jesus entering into the home of his friend, and that home had someone in it that desperately needed a healing. Peter's mother-in-law was suffering. She was lying down ill with a fever. Now, the difference between the healing that took place publicly earlier that day in the synagogue and the one that Jesus was about to perform privately is this. One was demon-induced, and the other one was just a result of living in a broken place. Sometimes people just get sick. Sometimes people just get old. All of us, all of our bodies are bound to eventually wear out. All of us will eventually die due to some sort of physical breakdown in our bodies. There doesn't seem to be any overt spiritual cause of this fever in Simon's mother-in-law. We don't know why. It just seems to be the repercussions of living in a broken world. But once again, the Christmas story tells us that God himself into the broken world came. He's called Emmanuel, God with us. And this is what we see in our text. Jesus leaves the synagogue and he enters into the home of someone who is suffering so that he might be with them. And look at how simply Mark puts it. Look at this. I love it. Look at what he says. He says, they told him about her. Like he walks in the door and they say, hey, Jesus, this is what we got going on. Let's tell him about her. It's so simple. Hey, Jesus, this is what we got going on in our home. Obviously, the synagogue thing was an amazing display of your care and your power, but this is what we got going on in our home, and they told him about her. Now, in the parallel account of the story, Luke says that they appealed to him on her behalf. The emphasis is on asking and imploring him to do something about her sickness. They're appealing to him. Appealing is something that you do when you're not happy with the company line that has been read to you off the cue card by your customer service rep. You're like, can I speak to your supervisor? You know, to really get the ball rolling, right? That's an appeal. You're appealing to a higher authority that may or may not be capable of doing for you that which you want done. That's the force behind the work that Luke uses. But Mark simply says this, they told her about, or told him about her. I love the simplicity of that statement. Mark uses the most basic Greek word. It's just a generic, basic building block of communication. And get this, you know what it is? Lego. Lego. Sounds like Lego, right? Just a basic building block of communication. There's not a correlation with the Greek, but I think that's interesting that that's the word, Lego. It's just a simple form of communication. They told him. It means they spoke with him. They talked. They had thoughts in their minds that came out through the words and from their, formulated from their mouth, right? They told him about her. They spoke with him about what was going on in their home. This is beautiful. They talked to Jesus about a problem that was occurring in real time in their life. Yeah, the synagogue was great, but this is what we got going on here. And Jesus was accessible to them. He left the synagogue and stepped into their house. 
And what we're going to see in a moment is that Jesus is going to be pulled in many different directions, but this moment, he makes himself available for a conversation about a problem his followers were concerned about. Because they wanted to see if what happened in the synagogue could happen in their home. And this is what Mark says next, verse 31. And he came, he took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Wow. That, you should say wow to that. Don't gloss over that. They tell him about her, and he shows up and does something about it. Wow. So five things I see here. One, he came. He responded to the information that was given to him from his concerned disciples. Not only did he come, too, he got up close and personal with that suffering. He took her by her burning hot, feverish hand. He came near. The tender compassion of Jesus is on display here. He took what his friends had told him about, and then he took that woman by her burning hot hand, and then next we see the third thing. He lifted her up. That's resurrection language. This is one of the main words that the New Testament authors use to describe what happened to Jesus after his body spent three, Jesus' body spent three days in the tomb. What would happen to Jesus' body in 15 chapters' time, he is making happen right now in chapter one with this feverish woman. He's raising her up to newness of life by getting rid of what was restricting her. And that's the fourth thing we see. He came, he got up close and personal, he lifts her up, and then the fever leaves her. That which once held her in bondage was no longer there. It left it was a no longer a present reality, and her, in the fever's absence came a new white-hot passion to begin a life of service to the one who raised her up. And that's the fifth thing. She began to serve them. She was raised up and freed to start walking a whole new life of service to the one who raised her. Verse 31 is a little microcosm of the gospel that Jesus had come preaching. He was informed about our sickness and our situation, and he came to us in the incarnation. He gets up close and personal with our suffering, and he's lifted up, and he lifts us up, and our old sin-sick nature was evicted and forced out, forced to leave upon his touch, and now we are engaged in acts of service of loyal subject of the true king who stepped into our suffering. That is amazing news. Verse 31 is the gospel. And do you know what this sequence of events starts with? Some guys simply talking with Jesus about what's going on in their home. That's how it starts. Simply talking about what was going on in their home. They're talking to him about her and in a joking way, I thought about this. Some, you might be thinking, man, I wish someone told Jesus about my mother-in-law. I wish that he'd go heal her, right? Why do mother-in-laws get such a bad rap? 
My mother-in-law was just here. She's watching right now. I love her. She's amazing. I have to say these things, right? But all joking aside, do you speak with Jesus about what's going on in your home? Or are you like, oh, there's, he can't touch that. It's great. Church, church is great. It'll never impact my life at home. Do you speak with Jesus about what's going on in your home? Don't you know that he can do the same thing there that he does here as he rejuvenates and revives hearts? Don't you know that he stoops down and he anxiously awaits to hear your voice? Don't you know that he left heaven and took on flesh and blood to be near us? It's this time more than any other time of the year we should know that Jesus desires to be near us and hear us when we pray. He actually moved into our neighborhood, so to speak. So yes, these men saw something amazing in the synagogue earlier that day, but they didn't think that that wouldn't come impact their home. In fact, they said maybe that effect will have an effect on the life of our family. So let's talk to Jesus about it and invite him to our home. And we must do the same. Talk to Jesus about the situations that seem threatening to the functionality of your family and see what he might do about it. That's a main point. The functionality of the family was disrupted. She laid down ill with a fever, right? So, hey, it's not functioning right here. Let's tell Jesus about it. And this passage begins to highlight the tender compassion of Jesus that we're going to see play out in the next chapter as well. He, get, he got up close and personal with his people, and in turn, his people can get up close and personal with him. He made a way for us to do that through the means of intentional time spent with him on a day-to-day basis. So look at what Jesus modeled for us as he communed early in the morning with his father. Look at how this passage ends. It says this in verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and were oppressed by demons, And the whole city was gathered together at the door. (laughs) And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So many things that we could say here. But what we want to say is, look, Jesus is obviously swamped with opportunities to minister to people in a private setting. And he's obviously swamped with opportunities and he's controlling all the hype by not allowing the demons to speak because his credibility might be called into question if his miraculous power was authenticated by demonic testimony. Not all publicity is good publicity, right? Why do you believe in Jesus? Well, a demon told me. (laughs) Okay. So he obviously has a ton going on in his life, Jesus that is, He was at the very end of a very long day, and then we read this in verse 35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed, and he went out to a desolate place. It's the same word that we read earlier in verse 1, or chapter 1, about going out into the wilderness to a desolate place, and there he prayed. He spoke with his father about the things that were going on in his life. Just like those guys spoke with him about her, Jesus models, hey, look, this is all the pressure I got. 
and I'm gonna go spend time with my father and tell him what I got going on. He spoke with his father about all the things that were going on in his life. He spoke with him. He got up close and personal with his father. Jesus prayed. Early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus was orienting himself with his father's plans. People, listen. It's probably unnecessary to say this, but if Jesus had to do this, do I even need to finish the sentence? Right? This is what he modeled for us. And at this point in time, I'm going to invite Garrett Camp to come forward to bring a word of encouragement for us all. And the reason why I want to bring him forward is because of my, literally my first encounter with Garrett. I was candidating for the position of senior pastor over three years ago. And I was able to go to your house, Garrett, and have a wonderful dinner and hang out with some people. And at the end of the dinner, I... Um, was exiting your house, going to my car, and you chased me down in the driveway. And I'm candidating for the position of senior pastor. And Garrett takes it upon himself to come out and say to me, make sure you have a daily quiet time. And I'm like, I like this guy. I like this guy, right? Because he saw the the importance of spending time, intentional time with Jesus every single day and so as I thought about this passage of scripture, I was like, I could speak on this and I could totally speak on it because I spend intentional time with Jesus every day. I talk with him. But I was like, I would love for you to share just a little bit about it because I know it's one of your massive life passions to spread this and we see it modeled for us. So I wanna ask you just a few questions. First of all, we see Jesus having a daily time set aside to spend time with his father. So what is a daily quiet time? Uh, yeah, thanks for inviting me over here and, and talk about this. It is indeed a, a topic I really care about. Um, so what is, what is a quiet time? For me, it's about your relationship with God the Father. Yeah. God is a heavenly Father, and God wants a relationship with us. So any relationship flourishes when you spend some, some QT, some quality time together. So for me, a daily quiet time is just to spend quality time together with, with my heavenly Father. Yeah. Um, that's the main essence of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, he, he talks to us through his word. So we, we read the Bible as part of a quiet time. Yeah. And then we communicate back with him in prayer and he listens to us. Yeah. So it's a communication with our Heavenly Father and we get to do that every day. It's so why is it important to have a daily quiet time? Well, first, I think we see from the passage we just read that Jesus modeled having a quiet time. Yeah. He went out in the morning spent time with the Father, heard a voice from the Father, and, and got directions. Because when you continue reading, um, the disciples, Simon and the others, they, they went and searched for him. Yeah. And they found him, which means that he, he, they knew where he was. It was probably not the first time that he did this. So they, they knew where to go out and, and find him. And then what they say is, hey, the whole town is asking for you. You want to come back? And, you know, our first thought would be, yeah, of course. Wow, there's an audience. We should, we should go and we should talk to them. Yeah. But then Jesus says, no, we have to go to the other towns and preach there as well. For this is why I came. Yeah. So he, in his conversations with the Father, he was reminded of his purpose. Why was he here? And, and that's the same thing we can do in our quiet time as well. Communicate with God the Father and be reminded of the purpose why he has us here yeah. in this world. That's amazing, yeah, because he got like daily directives. Because I think about that as like he could have really easily just gone back to the synagogue, right? 
and had a great public persona and celebrity type ministry, but he's like, no, I need to go elsewhere because that's what was communicated to me. I know my purpose. So it affected his daily life, right? And this is Jesus, the son of God, who models it for us, and he says that we need it as well. Yeah, so that, that's a, a very good reason to have a daily quiet time. If Jesus models it, it's, it's, it's probably a smart thing to follow that. Um, but another reason is Jesus kind of specifically tells us that we should do this on a daily basis. Yeah. When he was tempted by Satan in the, in the desert, he didn't eat for 40 days. So he was really hungry. Um, and Satan is trying to use that to make him do something that was not God's will for him. Satan tells him, like, you're really hungry. Tell these stones to turn into bread and, and just eat them and you'll be okay. And Jesus knew that this was not the will of the Father for him. And he counsels it by saying, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Yeah. And once I started thinking about that, like our bodies need food every day. Like in, in a camp household, we have a breakfast, we have a lunch, we have dinner, we eat three times a day. Our bodies need food. And, and so our spirit, the spiritual part of us, the part that gets born again when we are born of the spirit, that part of us needs God's word just as much as our bodies need food. So if we feed our bodies three times a day, maybe we should have three yeah. times a day a quiet time. You know, yeah. our, our spirits, yeah. Yeah. our yeah. spirits need it. I, I was reading um, a, a book by John Wesley, and he said he's two quiet times a day. He every morning and every evening. I, personally, I only do it every morning, but yeah. um, so our spirits need God's word just as much as our bodies need need food. So that's a second good reason why to have a good. Yeah, yeah, and, and the thing is, like, it's not, it's not because, because I said so, but he actually promises success if we do it, right? So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's also in, in the Old Testament when Joshua um, is taking charge after Moses leading the Israelites in Joshua 1. And think about it, these are like two million people that have a habit of complaining and whining and, and wanting to stone the people that show them God's will. So that's not an easy task. Yeah. And for him then to be, to be leading the people. And then God gives him some words of encouragement. And he yeah. tells them, like, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but it, you shall meditate it day and night. Day may, and night. Yeah, yeah, day and night. So every day, every night, that you may do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So God is promising Joshua, who's faced with this very hard task, that if you do... If you meditate on my word and you do what it says, mm. you will be successful. Um, you will be prosperous. Now, the moment you hear that word prosperous, we immediately start thinking, ooh, ooh uh, money, yeah. success, fame, all the things you know, that the world values. But God promises success in, in God's ways, mm -hmm. not in the ways of the world. The ways of the world, Jesus describes it as, as the, narrow, uh, sorry, the broad gate and the easy way that leads to destruction. Yeah. The narrow gate and the difficult way is the, lead, the way that leads to life. So right. if we meditate on God's word day and night, that will keep us on that narrow path and, and leads to eternal life and to abundant life. Yeah, and especially for our purpose, right? Because we all have a unique purpose for being here. Just like Jesus communed with his father and found out, hey, let's not just stay in Capernaum. Let's take this all throughout Galilee, right? That, that was success for him, right? So we all have a unique purpose that we need to be successful in and, and following out our purpose. So... When, when, when do you have a daily quiet time, or when should you potentially? Um, so Jesus models it in the morning, and it, it helped him to get directions from the Father for the day, what he should be doing that day. Um, I'm a morning person, so I wake up 
about an hour before the rest of the, my family members, and then I have my quiet time, and it's my, my time with God, and I get directions for the day. But I can also imagine if you're, you're not a morning person, and you have to get your whole family run, get out the door, and, and a lot of things cry for your attention early in the morning, you may want to do it right after that. Mm -hmm. um, Whatever works for you, really. Um, some people are evening people, and they spend a good solid time with, with their Heavenly Father in the evening. That has the benefit. You can reflect on your day. What, have, what has happened? How did I respond to it? What am I going to do different tomorrow? And so that, that would work as well. I don't, yeah. Personally, I wouldn't say you have to do it uh, exactly. specific time of the right, day. Right, right. What does a quiet time look like? Well, so it is communication with your Heavenly Father. And... The Bible tells us that we should be quick to listen and slow to speak. So let's, let, you have to start with reading God's word. Hmm. Just listen to God. What does he have to say? Um, I personally go through a Bible plan that takes me through the whole Bible in about a year. So every year you kind of come back to those topics. Um, but then, like Joshua, uh, in, like it's written in Joshua, you meditate on it. You think about what is God telling me. I also put in um, a piece of scripture memory since we're part of Awana, we teach the children to memorize, and you should never ask other people to do what you're not willing to do yourself. So mm. we, we, we memorize along with them. Um, and then sometimes it happens when I'm in the book of, say, Numbers, that the daily reading, there's just not much that I get out of it. Mm -hmm. But then the, the verses I memorize, like, whoa, that's yeah. just the impact of application. So yeah. then there's always something to, me to, to meditate on and think about. And then you pray, and, and you like you say, you invite God into your life. You say, these are the things that are going on in my life. Can you please help me with this? Or can you, you know, give me the right perspective? I know that my purpose is to glorify you in mm -hmm. all that I do. Um, I need to become more like Jesus, like your son. Will you help me do that? Fill me with your spirit today. Give me the power that I need. So Amen. You, you pray. Um, sometimes I write down things in a journal to kind of keep track of it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I might forget yeah. Um, sometimes I write things in a little to-do app if the Father prompts me that these are things that I should be doing that day. So those are, for me, kind of components of a, of a quiet time. Very good. And how do you get started? Oh, good question. So I'm hoping that a lot of you already have that habit of spending time with the God daily in the Word. But, but if you don't, I would like you to, to start this week. Mm. I would really like you to encourage do it. It's, there's nothing better than spending time with your Father. Um, yeah. But it's not easy to get started. First of all, there's going to be spiritual resistance. Mm -hmm. like we're reading about the demons, and they don't want you to have that relationship with God. So there's going to be little things that's going to throw your schedule off and going to try to derail you in, in doing this. So be, be aware of that. But also remember, he who is in us is stronger than who is currently the ruler of the world. So mm -hmm. you can do it. Um, and I'll compare it with, say, when you start working out and you go to the gym, you know, if you, if you, if it's not, painful that first week, man. <laughs> well, yeah, but <laughs> suppose you want to get stronger, so you start lifting weights. And on Monday you start and, and, and you try 250 pounds bench press. Mm -hmm. you, you pull some muscles and, yeah, and, yeah. and you're out for the, next of the, the rest of the week. So yeah. that's not smart. Mm -hmm. Or if you want to get fit with running and, and you start running the first day, you go for three or four miles and, <laughs> you know, you, you, you get injured and that's, that's it. You're, you're done for the rest of the week. So I wouldn't... It's probably better to have a five or 10 minutes consistent time every day of the week mm -hmm. than to start with a full hour on Monday and don't do anything the rest of the week. So mm -hmm. just, just get us. And when you go to the gym and you wanna start working out, it's helpful to have some encouragement from, from other people. If you sign up for a gym plan together with a buddy, then you can help each other 
through that. So maybe if you really are serious about starting the habit, but you think it's going to be hard, tell somebody. Tell a, tell a friend. Tell your spouse, like, hey, I really want to do this. Can you check in with me on, on Tuesday or Wednesday if, if things are going well? Yeah. And, and do the same for other people. Very good. And Garrett, I love, I love this final admonition that you wrote to me earlier this week. So could you just kind of read that final, sen- final two sentences? Because I think that's where the rubber meets the road and it's the, it's the impact. So, yeah, yeah, I think it was, yeah, so I think it was this one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So tomorrow morning, pick up your Bible, start reading, and pray to God. Hmm. Commit to doing the same every day this week, and you'll reap benefits for eternity. I mean, it's just that simple, right? I mean, sometimes we try to, to, we try to do something really complex, and it's just as simple as tomorrow morning, pick up your Bible, start reading, pray to God, commit to doing this every day this week, and then reap the benefits for eternity. That's amazing. Anything else you want to share, Garrett? Yeah, it's, it's just mind-blowing to me that, that God, the creator of everything, of, of all, the, all the, the galaxies and the stars. He's so big. He's so powerful. And yet he wants to have that intimate relationship with every single one of us. He loves us all. Yeah. It's, it's mind-blowing, and it, it's a privilege that we can actually communicate with him. I mean, thank you, Garrett. Thank you for coming up here. You can clap for that. That's fine. And the reason I wanted to take time to do that is because this is a great season to get plugged in. I mean, so many of you have so many like Advent rituals or routines in your home right now that involve like candy or chocolate or ornaments or something like that. Like make this a routine. Tomorrow morning, pick up your Bible, start reading, talk to God about what's going on in your home. Don't let what happened in this gathering today just stay here The power of what you experience here, it could and should go home in your car with you today. And it can meet you late at night or early in the morning and all throughout your day. But we actually have to come to him. We have to see what he has done for us in the incarnation and then allow it to change everything about us. Let's pray as the worship team comes forward to conclude our worship gathering here today. God, I pray that we would allow you to speak with us, that we would speak with you about what's going on in our homes, that we would never be content with just coming to seek after some sort of religious experience here in this gathering, but that you would, just as you left um, heaven to come here to get up close and personal with us and remove that which was restricting us for a life of service of following you, God, I pray that we would take every message that we hear here and bring it home and invite you into our homes to have an impact there. God, I pray that we would come to you, that we would look and observe and see what you have done for us and allow it to change every arena of our lives, not just when we're gathered here, but when we go home as well. So God, I pray that we would come to you in this final song and in a final benediction. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand as we sing our final song and then have a benediction.